This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Fujitsu to build 25 petaflop supercomputer. And Facebook unveils machine learning framework. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research. And speaking of our friends at top500.org, Michael Feldman, my regular podcast partner, you're here, but you are not with Intersect 360 Research. Our first story this week is you are now the managing editor at top500.org. Right. We sort of switched seats. Uh, we kept it all within the family, though. I'm at Top 500. You're still at Intersect 360 Research. And yeah, it's a new adventure for me. I'm back in the journalism business. But this time with Top 500, we're building an HPC supercomputing news site that we are putting up. In fact, we've got some stories there now. We're going to go forward with that. And we're going to be reporting news on a daily and weekly basis. Um, it's kind of exciting. Right. You Michael Feldman fans who are listening to the podcast will remember that before he joined Intersect 360 Research, Michael was the editor at HPC Wire. So this is indeed back to journalism for Michael. But uh, Michael, I'm glad that we all get to keep uh, reading your work and we get to keep the podcast going together. And in fact, you've already brought us a couple of stories that we can cover in in our first podcast uh, together in your new role this week in HPC, starting with a new supercomputer that's being built in Japan by Fujitsu. And this Fujitsu supercomputer will actually be a top 500 supercomputer when it goes online. It's still in the process. It might even be top five. It's yeah. a big supercomputer. It's a 25 petaflop system, so it'll probably top out at number three when it comes out. Well, it'll be six months down the line, so there might be a few more top systems on there. But if it were uh, deployed today, it would probably be top the top three system, maybe even top two. So uh, it's a very big system. It's an all Xeon Phi system. No, no regular Xeons in there. Um, Eight thousand nodes. It's a, it's a really uh, performance system. But they uh, they're actually being shared by two universities in in Japan: University of Tokyo and University of uh, Tsukuba uh, nearby. It's a, it's going to be under a shared uh, joint center for advanced high performance computing center which they've done in the past, and it's the, the follow-on system is a much bigger system. And certainly when it comes out in December of this year, it'll be the biggest system in Japan. Yeah, this will be uh, faster than the K computer at Riken. Now, this is not a, a Riken system, as you said. This is going to these uh, Japanese universities. The system itself is going to be known as Oak Forest PACS, P-A-C-S, which is an acronym for Parallel uh, advanced system for computational sciences. I guess the S for system in the middle disappears and they take four out of the five letters, think it packs. We get these funny acronyms from time to time. You highlighted uh, what I think is the most interesting thing here, that this is an all Intel Xeon Phi supercomputer using the Xeon Phi's as a native processor, not as a coprocessor. Uh, it's all Xeon Phi's all, all the way down. Yeah, it's uh, right. They're going to use it. It's the new Knight's Landing uh chips that are just being produced now um they're gonna have to get a lot of them in there like i said there's eight thousand nodes so each each one of those gets its own socket so they're gonna they're gonna buy eight thousand of these uh these chips right there but uh right like you said it's the it's gonna be the self-hosted version of this so no co-processing no pci bus talking or any other bus uh it's all gonna be done uh with these uh many core uh xeon phi chips and and go from there 
looking at some of the other elements of this system, it's also going to deploy 100 gigabit per second Omnipath from Intel. We've been talking about Omnipath in some previous episodes of This Week in HPC. So this is another big win for Intel architecturally as Omnipath really starts to get going. Right. And I think uh, one of the first big international wins. But yeah, this is going to be an all all Xeon Omnipath. It's what they're talking about, their, their system framework. Uh, going forward, and yeah, this all comes together here. It's interesting that the, these two universities have c conspired before to build systems together and under different PAX series. Uh, they've got a variety of systems there. Now they've even got an old Hitachi Power 7 system. Uh, they've got some Spark-based Fujitsu systems under their, their sort of native uh, proprietary supercomputer thing. But this is actually going to be a little bit different for them. It's going to be an all x86 in this case xeon 5 system but uh it's it's going to be a diverse stable of, of supercomputers that they've they've got there now yeah we were talking to barry davis of uh, intel who's the general manager of high performance computing and fabrics there as well as nick nystrom of the pittsburgh supercomputing center on a special episode of this week in hpc a couple of weeks ago and barry was hinting at the time that they had a major uh, Japanese uh, system for Omnipath that was coming up that they weren't prepared to uh, give the announcement of just yet. So here it is uh, uh, just a few weeks later, and, and we're starting to get the details of that. Now, I also don't want to ignore the, the uh, storage here. There's uh, 26 petabytes of disk-based uh, luster uh, coming from DDN, and uh, I highlighted the disk base because there's another 940 terabytes, nearly another petabyte of what they're calling a file cache that's all SSD. So DDN providing essentially 27 petabytes of storage here, uh, most of it based on Lustre, and then about 3-4% uh, of it that's, a, that's some kind of a file cache. Right, right. A true petascale system, very large, right, disk-based system, which you would assume for something this uh, of this size, certainly, and and the type of work that's being done at the university. It's basically going to be a, a research supercomputer for science and engineering uh, people that at those two universities and their collaborators throughout the rest of Japan and even internationally. So it'll get a lot of use. I think there's a couple thousand users that are going to that are going to be involved here, and uh, now all of a sudden or not all of a sudden, but within six months, they'll have access to uh, quite a few petaflops, in fact, more than, more than anybody else in, in that country, at least for the, uh, for the near future. Let's go back to the architecture here just a second, because we were talking about the Intel Xeon Phi, this Oak Forest PAX machine uh, that Fujitsu is building. That's going to have a 2U chassis building block with eight nodes per chassis. And, uh, Michael, you were taking note of the fact that these are uh, single socket nodes. Right. Each one is, looks like it has one uh, single chip or single socket of Xeon Phi in there. And that basically it's – I mean, I don't think they can pack them much denser. It's a dense configuration. It's eight per, per chassis. So you've got uh, these fairly hot 200-watt or, or more – chips in there burning away so it's basically they've allocated basically one per per node and then pack the nodes very densely and they're using hot water cooling to cool the whole thing which is pretty understandable considering sort of the density of, of what they're talking about here eight thousand nodes is actually not a lot of nodes considering that there are it is going to top out at uh, 25 petaflop peak 
Right. It's 8,200 nodes, 8,208 8, specifically nodes from this Primergy system from Fujitsu. You know, this is another thing that our American listeners should take special note of, that I think that uh, from a U.S. viewpoint, Fujitsu often gets overlooked as one of the leaders in high-end supercomputing. But they've had a, a, a strong roadmap and history here and uh, will be significant players in these pre-exascale and march toward exascale systems. Yeah, and, and this is a, a nice little precursor. This won't be I mean, these universities won't be in line to get the first exascale machines. There's there's sort of these lesser machines, and they just happen to leapfrog the K system in Riken for the time being. But, uh, you know, it is these guys are out in front in a lot of ways. We should also mention the University of Tsukuba has their own. They've had their older Cray systems, which are um, they've played with the Xeons and Xeon Phi coprocessor. And they also have some Xeons with NVIDIA GPUs here. They seem to have settled on this different architecture and, and going forward now who knows what will happen they've got planned down the road they've got larger 50 plus petaflop systems and even uh, 100 and 200 plus petaflop systems on the drawing board so if if they like the xeon fives here they might just stick with it but uh, when you talk about going out to 2024 and you know who knows what will be available but uh it's, it's interesting they they sort of switch gears here and and went for the xeon fives and this sort of uh a consolidated x86 type uh, arrangement. Yeah, I think these Intel architectures are, are going to be key for Fujitsu uh, going forward. Of course, we'll remember a lot of their Spark-based uh, work, but but I think Fujitsu has certainly been lining up a, a lot with these Intel architecture systems. So a nice new supercomputer in Japan, a nice win for Fujitsu, nice win for Intel and DDN uh, on the, on this uh, presumably top five system. Even by the time it uh, it debuts, this this is scheduled to be installed in December 2016. The optics of that to me are that this might hit the new November 2016 top 500 list. Yeah, I think that's right, Ben, and uh, it'll almost certainly be a top 10 system, but maybe not at the top uh, three, but uh, certainly up there, it's it's going to be a large Might system. make the top five, might make the top five if yeah. it's there in November. Uh, yeah, I would, I, would, I would make that as a guess, yeah, top five system. So, yeah, congratulations, Fujitsu and the universities. Yeah, and, and to Intel and DDN as well. For our other story this week in HPC, we, we did a traditional supercomputing story, but Michael, right out of the shoot as editor, you're covering traditional supercomputing and you're going all the way out to machine learning. You had a story posted based on a blog at Facebook that was unveiling a new machine learning platform, their backbone for artificial intelligence at Facebook. Right, they've talked about this a little bit in the press. It's um, it's called FB Learner Flow, and it's uh, right, it's their framework or their platform, their software platform for machine learning, that they they tried out last year for uh, one or two applications, and they've expanded it quite a bit over that year, without talking about it very much to the point where uh, a quarter of all the engineering teams at Facebook are using this machine learning. Uh, capabilities for their work so i mean critical stuff like what they're doing to facebook you know image uh image filter or image recognition and video filtering and all the other things that that facebook is doing um what they hadn't talked about is sort of the internals of how that worked and in the in a blog post at facebook one of the software engineers who's familiar with this uh sort of delved deeply in underneath the covers and talked about 
the design rationale for how they did this and how they're using it. So quite a bit of reveal considering uh, it's a lot of proprietary software for them. Yeah, the blog that you're referring to is posted by Jeffrey Dunn, who's a software engineer at Facebook, and you can find the link to the blog in your story on top500.org, Michael. But the interesting thing to me there was that you know we've, we've been talking about those hyperscale companies that are really leading the way in machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. And, and here's Facebook that essentially being very open with their, their code, as, as you pointed out. There's even a code sample that's part of the blog, right. and they talked about their their four fundamental properties that they were trying to bring to uh, this framework. One, that each machine learning algorithm should be implemented once in a reusable manner. Two, engineers should be able to write a training pipeline that parallelizes over many machines and can be reused by many engineers. Three, training a model should be easy for engineers of varying machine learning experience, and nearly every step should be fully automated. And four, that everybody should be able to easily search past experiments, view results, share with others, and start with new variants of a given experiment. So that's that's how they laid it out. And then they, the uh, uh, Jeffrey Dunn starts going into details as to how that's been implemented in this platform. Right. I think the, the emphasis there, what you were talking about, is they, they wanted to get something that was very reusable and, and very automated so a lot of engineers could use it. They didn't want... Uh, you know, sort of reinventing the wheel every time there was a new uh, algorithm or a new feature they wanted to add. So they sort of commoditized uh, the machine learning within Facebook so that it was applicable to to more of the the work there. I, I mean, it's performing as well. They they talked about some some nice metrics there. So far, I think they've trained like a million models uh, over the over the short period of time, and it it uh, does something like six million predictions per second for the the prediction engine inside of that. Um, I think in last month or the month before in April, they, they actually executed more than a million workflows. So there's a lot of performance there. They didn't talk at all about the infrastructure they were uh, executing this on, although we know that uh, they've talked about GPUs in the past. So we, we assume there's a fairly large uh, GPU cluster that they're using for this machine learning. But uh, with this software on top of it, they're getting quite a lot of performance. And now... Uh, reusability and and automation as well. Yeah, the the other big thing that I noticed about this, you know, we've talked about a, a little bit. It's come up in some presentations I've given recently. New languages that are being developed in the hyperscale space, things like Julia and Go, and we've started thinking about whether these might migrate into HPC in various ways. But this wasn't that the code that he's posted. This is all in Python. Right. Python, I think, has been a popular language for some machine learning and even for some HPC. And I think, you know, what you brought up, I think these things will migrate into HPC, especially something like Python, which has become sort of universally liked in a lot of technical settings. Um, But you're right. I mean, machine learning is becoming uh, sort of a hot and rapidly expanding application set. And as it uh, as it sort of intersects with HPC, I think we will start to pick up some of the tools and uh, languages like that. I think we'll, we'll start to percolate as well. Yeah, we're getting to where machine learning is not really solely the domain of, uh, of hyperscale. It initiates there, but it's starting to creep into some research areas in HPC, particularly in finance, it appears more than anywhere else. Now you get some 
tweeners there where there exist finance companies that are both HPC users and hyperscale users. There was a presentation at the NCSA uh, PSP meeting that I was at uh, just recently where Arno Colster of PayPal talked about both their use of HPC and their use of machine learning. Now, that doesn't mean it's it's the same, but uh, but here's an HPC user that, uh, that we're counting as part of the market uh, as a, giving an example of how machine learning is now moving into finance. And I, even I think some of the traditional workloads for HPC, some things like uh, weather prediction and, and uh, you know, finding the oil and gas reserves and, and certain other things where you do some sort of pattern matching or, in, or intelligent, uh, you know, data analysis. I think some of those will start to use these machine learning techniques to either augment uh, the simulation and modeling, or in some cases to replace them. So I think we'll see sort of a blending of some of these things and uh, maybe get away from some of the, the brute force supercomputing that we're used to and use some of these uh, machine learning techniques to do the, the same job or a similar job, just to do it a little differently and, and with some different software and, and infrastructure. It's an incredible future we're headed towards. And yep. Michael, welcome to your new role where you get to write <laughs> about it in all kinds of exciting ways. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it all. All right, that'll wrap us up this week in HPC. Michael, thanks very much for dialing in from your new role as managing editor of top500.org. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.